0: This is Decentralized Radio. I'm Tristan. And I'm Ryan. The goal of this podcast is to help educate you on how to live your most optimal life. We will host industry expert guests to shed light on topics that matter.
1: We are not gurus. Rather, two individuals who have had to pave their own path to health and vitality, independent of the centralized systems that plague modern society. Today on the show, we're talking to Joshua Rayner, who is an elite athlete, health coach turned regenerative rancher, whose goal has been to help others achieve optimal health. We're going to dive into some controversial topics of gut health and raw milk. Is it nature's medicine or deceptively delicious poison? I love it. We will also be discussing the importance of supporting your local farmers and why. There's a lot to dive into, so let's get started.
0: All right, hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Decentralized Radio. Today we have Josh on the line. Josh, how's it going, man?
1: Pretty good, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: How's it going, Ryan on your end?
1: Great. I'm I'm excited to talk about milk now. We were talking about that pre-show and I'm like, let's get into it.
0: Yeah, so 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 Josh has Maybe the most, you know, in-depth insight on the ground, and he's a big raw milk enthusiast. And, yeah, I mean, we were kind of just talking, you know, before we get into a little of of Josh's backstory, we're kind of just talking about raw milk and, you know, what's the best type of raw milk. So, I mean, we could just get right back into it. What was that saying you you just said, Josh? Uh,
2: It was cheese from the sheep, milk from the goat, and butter from the cow. Um, yeah, my, uh, my first, uh, dairy job, my boss told me about, uh, that's like the expression, I guess that's, I don't know where it comes from. Um, but you know, it's kind of like the best use of each of these incredible milks, right. That have their different properties and ratios of protein, fat, and carbs and, and nutrients and kind of consistencies and stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously like, uh, one of the big selling points of, of raw milk, raw cow's milk, is that it's non-homogenized, right? So you get that that cream top layer on there. Um, but sheep and goat milk are just naturally homogenized already. So separating the fat from the milk is really hard. Um, you can't just like skim it off or put it into... Um, Uh, like a cream separator, which is like what most, uh, at least small farms do. I'm sure in big ones, they have a lot more complicated machine, which basically just uses the like weight and uh, density and diverts the cream and the milk into like two different channels. Um, But yeah, I mean, I've, I've had uh, all of cow's milk, goat's milk, sheep's milk, camel milk, uh, water, Buffalo milk, I think that's it. Um, I still need to try horse milk and don- donkey milk, and um, yeah, but I mean, it's incredible that these these foods, which you know, obviously different populations had access to, you know, different uh, animals that they brought with them whenever they were, whether they were nomadic or more pastoral. But um, all these different milk giving animals, like just for providing such vital food to different people, like it's it's such an incredible thing that we figured out how to do.
0: Yeah, and it goes back like what, like ten thousand years. I mean, I don't know exactly, but I'm assuming a pretty long time,
1: right? Something
2: like that. The the like uh generally accepted timeline is yeah like eight thousand BC, so like ten thousand years. Um but in uh I have that like the untold story of raw milk book. I think they like hypothesize that um it's like thirty or forty thousand years old.
0: Wow. I mean, so, we don't, don't know. you know. There's new stuff coming out every day with like ancient civilizations. So I guess it's yeah. probably, you know, whenever that was, if there was a, a modern civilization that was pretty intelligent, you could probably assume that they had, they were doing dairy. I'd, I'd imagine at least.
2: I mean, it would be obviously like we're humans and we understand our like mammalian function, right? M- mammal literally means like mammary milk, right? So that's mm-hmm. how we we feed our young. So if we would have understood that we did that and we would have witnessed that the animals around us were raising their young that same way, I mean, I, I can't imagine we would have at least tried to figure that out. Like it's It seems fairly um, straightforward. If there were somewhat technologically advanced, you know, in their own way, societies like pre-recorded history, you know, like that, uh, I don't know, Graham Han- Hancock kind of idea, then I can't imagine if they figured out like weird astronomy or some kind of temple type things that like they couldn't figure out milk too.
1: <laughs> it's just amazing to me. Cause like, I've gone on this whole journey. Like I'm sure you have Josh probably in different ways, but like with milk, like I grew up drinking milk. My dad's a huge milk guy. He said when he was growing up, he had goats and they would, they would literally drink their raw goats milk from their own goats. And so he was always big into milk, pretty much forced milk down our throats, like growing up. Um, unfortunately it wasn't raw milk at the time, but it was still like, I think it was at, we always had at least like two percent or whole always. um skim is the worst I freaking just tastes like water yeah, so um, i
2: I was uh, not as fortunate and I just grew up with this shitty milk for I don't know what reason like you know uh that's just what we bought <laughs> at the store. Uh, it was mostly like yeah, like skim like fat free milk that yeah, it's just water and it's it's gross it is gross. Like even, even low, like since I've been, uh, you know, drinking raw milk 10 years now and trying to just learn as much as I can about nutrition and also play with whatever came with my body. I've like occasionally gone to stores and like tried to get different milks from the store, obviously like pasteurized milks and like, see if I, how I digest them and see like, is it the pasteurization thing at this point for me? Like, is that still a problem? Because a lot of people will say, oh, you know, once I started drinking raw milk, which allowed me to ease into milk, now I can just drink any milk ever pretty much that I have access to. And um, so I've tried, you know, there's a, there's a local A2 um, milk that has a low-fat version in the store. And then um, I even tried like a non-fat version. The non-fat milk is so, it's gross. It, you're, it, it, their people are so right when they say it's like, it's just like water. Because there's nothing to thicken it, right? All the fat is gone, um, and you know, I growing up, my dad drank a lot of milk, but my parents are my parents are pretty significantly older. Uh, my dad just turned ninety this year, oh. and um, there's they're just so much from that, like just fat is like the worst thing ever for you, kind of era, um, and I guess that's just kind of why we bought that, and I just never really liked. You could have not, as a kid, I just never wanted to drink milk, like unless I was eating like cookies or cake or something, or I poured it in my cereal. Um, But, and I've talked about this before, but my childhood, I was a generally healthy person, but I had like two major problems throughout my childhood. I couldn't breathe through my nose. So I had, um, I have a deviated septum that I, I think I've gotten like from a car accident when I was really little. I don't really know exactly what caused it. And so my nose was stuffed up constantly. And so I was breathing through my mouth and I had like terribly chapped lips, just like scabbed up because I would lick them and stuff because you know, I'd be at school and playing sports and stuff. Um, and then I was just like, I didn't really realize at the time, but I was just constipated. Like I only pooped like every three or four days, like as a kid. Um. So I don't know exactly what caused it. I I think it was there's obviously a really strong gut element. And I think that the milk was very heavily involved in that. Um, And, you know, that's just from mostly of my milk consumption, just in like my morning cereal, but it seemed to be problematic enough that, that it still caused problems. And so now when I've tried reincorporating store-bought milks, I can do, you know, pasteurized whole milk, no problem. I can do pasteurized low fat milk, no problem. But when I do the skim milk, I have a terrible time at the bathroom, and I don't. I'm not really quite sure what it is. There's like, um, people I've talked to think that it's possible that you know all these milks are required to be fortified with some kind of vitamin A and vitamin D, and who knows like what the quality of those supplements they're using are. So, uh, whole milk doesn't have that requirement, but low-fat milk and and non-fat milk do. So. I, I'm not sure what the what the problem is but uh skim milk fat- free milk is, is is not good it's not
1: good no for it's, me. it's interesting because like I've had that very same experience um I mean I grew up drinking milk but then I learned all the terrible things about milk how it's inflammatory all the stuff I switched to almond milk for like five years um when I was like in my late teens to late early 20s and then I went back to milk couldn't handle it anymore um and it was a whole mess like I couldn't even drink even drink what I drank as a kid. So then I stopped for a couple years and I think when I was 25, so like a year and a half ago, I started reintroducing or I introduced raw milk just in like small, small doses. And I, I just didn't have any problem with it all. And now I can tolerate up to, I've never tried skim again because it's just not worth it to me. It's not, <laughs> but, but, um, I can tolerate like just general whole, whole milk if I, if I really want to or need it. But, um, I always try to get the best source, but yeah, do what you can.
2: Yeah. I'm, I mean, that story is like the oldest story where people are like, yeah, I could not never drink milk and then I got raw milk and there's no problem. Um, and yeah, it's it's just incredible how one, like people who think that they can't have the food can have the food, but then kind of how that opens up like, yeah, I started drinking raw milk and now I can go get whatever kind of cheese I want. And then I don't have problems with all this other stuff. So it seems to be a really great kind of like entry point to getting all of the incredible nutritious value that is in all the dairy foods.
0: Yeah, so why don't we get into like why that is? Because I'm the same way. I mean, I used to pound cereal. I mean, I used to have like three, four bowls of cereal a day from age six to 18, so much milk. Yeah, just general pasteurized 2%, I think is what I grew up on. And then I got to college. Oh, what happened actually was, I started taking whey protein in high school when I started working out. And then there was like this two week period. I think I was a junior in high school where I just like was absolutely miserable digestion wise. Like I was taking mass gainer, or whey protein and then still eating like four bowls of cereal a day. And I just over I think I overdid it on lactose. And that's what my dad ended up figuring out because I was just like on the toilet for like all day two weeks and he's like yeah I think you overdid it on lactose with all the whey and the protein plus all the milk you normally drink so then from there on out I just yeah I just cut it I cut it out and then I didn't yet similar to Ryan a couple years ago I just you know out Wyoming got raw goat's milk and haven't had a problem now I do like raw a2 cow dairy as well so why don't we get into that a little bit? Like what, yeah, what is it about raw milk that makes it more easily digestible? And then, you know, how important have you noticed like a two? Um,
2: so, yeah, there's obviously like raw milk itself. Uh, what raw milk means is that it's unpasteurized, right? So it hasn't been um, subject to really high temperatures. And so that is going to alter um the, 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 all the kind of components that are present in the milk. And so one of the, uh, obviously, so like the, it's done to, to get rid of bacteria. So it has a longer shelf life. Um, but, you know, it also damages the, the enzymes in the milk. And so the bacteria and the enzymes, uh, are sort of like in this interaction, this like live interaction within the milk that are, um, kind of like maintaining this, this biome, right? Like everyone is now familiar with this gut biome thing, but like everywhere that there's bacteria, there is a biome. It's, it's essentially just means like an ecosystem of bacteria. And so, um, you know, I, I posted a, a, a picture while back. It's, it's been, people have kind of seen this thing off and on over the years. And I believe it was someone involved with the Weston a price foundation took all these different milks and left them out like in room temperature with the jar open, Um, you know, raw milk, pasteurized milk, low-fat milk, skim milk, homogenized, this thing, that thing. And the raw milk sort of just like maintained its, I don't know, for lack of a better word, integrity. Whereas the more processed milks started to putrefy and have all kinds of really um, terrible bacterial reactions. And so Whenever you have if – you, if you actually do think of bacteria as these little living organisms, they are, they're active. They're doing things. And so you are – like one of the reasons why we kind of talk about like be careful to do anything that's like overly antibacterial is that it's basically like clearing space. Like you're going – imagine you go like into a village and you just like just kill everyone in the village. That village is still there, which means if any, like, traveling wanderers came along, they'd be like, oh, there's a village with infrastructure here and, like, huts and stuff, so now, like, we can move in here. And so the bacteria within the milk are basically fighting off the potential other bacteria that might be trying to uh, uh, invade, for lack of a better word. So they're kind of, like, playing this defense system. So you're preventing... Um, unwanted bacteria from, from getting in there, as well as um, the bacteria themselves are involved with the digestion and the enzyme production. So, um, you know, if anyone's ever made a yogurt and anything that's kind of like, and honestly, anything fermented, right? You have bacteria and you have sugar, right? And then they kind of come together and the bacteria start eating the sugar. So, the bacteria, the um, lactobacillus bacterias actually produce the lactase enzyme and they break down the sugar, which is the lactose. Um, And, you know, if you do that for a long time, you get yogurt, Uh, which is why if you just take raw milk and, you know, you leave it out on your counter um, at like room temperature, it'll become yogurt. So it's kind of like this digestive the, the digestibility of the milk is like inherent in the milk already, and it just needs time and temperature to, to do it, which is why a lot of people who can't drink milk can can consume yogurt, no problem. Um, and they usually can often um, – so a lot of people can digest butter, and there's no lactose in the butter. So it really depends on what aspect of the milk is, is giving you the problem. So if it's the lactose um, – One, I mean, honestly, like drinking any kind of milk, yeah, raw is going to be much easier, but just drinking like pasteurized whole milk from the store. If you drink it over enough time, your body would just start upregulating enzyme productions because our bodies are really smart and adaptable. It's the same thing with, you know, like meat, right? Like, so like vegans, they won't eat meat for years and they go, oh, I ate a piece of meat. It made me so sick. It's like your body has trained itself to not digest meat for an extended period of time. Because you said that it's a waste of energy to produce, you know, stronger uh, stomach acid and all these different enzymes that break down meat. So whenever you uh, introduce a food, um, what you're basically doing is you're telling your body like, this is where we're going to get some calories from, maybe for a while, right? Like most. Our bodies aren't really been like, okay, so there's a grocery store and you can just decide to eat any different kind of food at any different time. Like you were normally going to go somewhere or be somewhere where you had a certain food source available to you for extended periods of time. So as you start consuming more dairy and especially the raw dairy, you are bringing the bacterial colonies in through the milk into your body. So then you're populating more bacteria that produce the lactase enzyme into into your uh, digestive tract. Which is going to just start upregulating what would then become your endogenous lactase production, and um, you know that's why, yeah, if you start drinking raw milk, then you might have an easier time with like ice cream and cheeses and all these other various um, uh, dairy foods as um, your body starts getting just getting better at at producing lactase. And then um, for the A two A one milk thing, that's that's a, diff- a whole different problem, right? so where lactose is a sugar uh, that a one and a two refers to protein. So it's a type of casein protein. You know, there's all these different amino acids in these, um, in the, in like in a chain that, that makes up the structure of, uh, of the protein of the milk. And so, uh, a two, um, refers to a certain amino acid in the chain. Um, and this a two milk is what, uh, humans produce. It is what, goats produce. It's what sheeps produce, um, sheep, you know, water, buffalo, donkey, like all the other animals that we keep. And I'm, I'm assuming like maybe all mammals, um, cause I know obviously we do right. Make their milk in this form of a two, but cows, uh, have a genetic mutation, which has a different, um, amino acid in there. And that seems to be correlated with, um, the genes for uh, higher milk production. So as we started keeping cows for milk and then breeding them for as much milk volume production as we can, um, this mutation kind of seemed to come along with it. Obviously we don't know what exactly uh, caused it, but this was really popularized by like the, the milk uh, breed that everyone knows, right? Like the white and black spotted cows, the Holstein Friesian which are just like these mutants of like milk producers like the gallons of milk per day on a frisian like puts any like jersey cow to shame um but their their milk is more water right so if when you were talking about whole milks you know uh low fat milk skim milk um frisian like standard uh whole milk is like 3.25% fat um you know like <laughs> so like when I was a kid, you know, and you see like whole milk and then you see 2% milk, you're like, they went down 98%, but they actually just went down from three and a quarter percent to, to 2%. Um, and uh, Jersey milk, especially like from the, the cows uh, that I've worked with on the farms that I've worked on, you know, we're talking more like five, seven, 8% uh, fat. Um, so uh, yeah, these these Frisians, which like, again, the water content of their milk is much higher. So the nutritional value is diluted, but it's more milk to sell. Um, they tend they kind of were like the the pioneer breed of really developing this this gene. But this this sort of took over the entire spectrum of dairy cows, which even if you get, you know, Jersey cows or Guernsey or Brown Swiss, which are like, you know, the breeds that are going to have a higher um preponderance of the A2 gene it's still like a vast vast minority of uh, of the population um and so yeah this different in the uh, difference in the casein protein seems to cause a lot of uh, allergic type reactions so um i believe it's uh, uh you know there's like like 100 or almost 100 uh, amino acids in a chain and i believe it's in in the 67th position in uh, a2 milk is an amino acid proline and in A1 milk, the amino acid there is histidine, and so histidine breaks down into histamine and can cause various allergic reactions. Um, and it also breaks down into something called beta casein morphine seven, which has these, um, yeah, kind of like it these like opioid like sort of qualities on the body, um, you know. And they say it can cause a variety of, uh, of, of breathing problems. You know, it, it can potentially. They've said it's been attributed to like SIDS and babies. Um, and i don't think like it's a huge problem for most people but it seems to be a problem for enough people that they go oh when i got the a2 milk like that was the game changer like raw milk didn't work until it was also a2 uh the 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 farmer i was talking about who i worked with he has three sons and um you know he got into into raw dairy but his middle son still couldn't digest the milk he still had problems with it and then he learned about A2, got an A2 cow, gave him A2 milk, and he had no problem. So it seems to be like you know, I'm not try- not. I don't like to like black pill or anything, but like we're so messed up. Like humans are just really screwed. Like what we've done to ourselves with our modern world and and food that we've really screwed up our digestive systems. Like more than anything, and so there's just got to be a lot of like experimentation to find out you know what what doesn't cause one issues and then what allows one to like improve their their current health status.
0: Are you interested in 100% grass fed, grass finished bison meat? I'm excited to be a partner with Falls Family Ranches. Based in Wyoming, Falls Family Ranches is raising high quality bison meat the way nature intended. As a native large ruminant of North America, bison is one of the most nutrient dense foods you can consume. If you're interested in trying out their bison boxes, use code Tristan, T-R-I-S-T-A-N 10 for 10% off your first order. Yeah, so I think that's super fascinating. I mean, you talked about the lactase and the lactobacillus bacteria. For for a lot of people that I don't think they realize that actually the lactase is not like physically in the milk, it's, it's the bacteria, right, that, um, you know, proliferates to be able to break that down and create lactase that's correct right am i saying am i getting that uh you know that's my understanding
2: the the problem is like you know the the channels that study this stuff aren't like you know our, our people that we we trust right that's so fair. like that, so, like, the FDA will say there is no lactase in milk. And I'm like, okay, you say a lot of shit that I don't care about. <laughs> so, like, that that could be true. I don't know. Um, but it might be that, like, if the milk is a little bit older, it would be in the milk, right? Like, obviously, if it starts getting to that, like, yogurt-y phase. Or, like, if you drink it, then, like, the milk that's in your gut will start to do that. Because I do know that. Um, there's a lot of great resources of raw milk. There's one, I forget what it is. It, it's just kind of like a whole, um, uh, website of like raw
0: milk facts and various yeah. things. Yeah. I think it's like the raw milk institute.com or.org. Or, I think maybe,
2: maybe. Um, well, and, like and it talks about how a lot of the, uh, enzymes in milk aren't actually released until there's like the chemical reaction in your, in your, mm-hmm. in your gut. Um, so I can't say, like, you know, I haven't taken raw milk and, like, gone to a lab and, like, analyzed every one of its components. This is my understanding of how it works. Like, for all I care, like, there could be, like, little gnomes in raw milk who, like, sit there and, like, chisel away at the lactose. It'll all be the same thing to me as long, you know, it's just, like, what what I care about is that it works and it's good. Yeah. Um, our digestive systems are, like, I don't know. Like, think about, like, you know, how we... Th- I hate using like mechanical analogies, but sometimes it's like kind of the only way that like kind of makes sense. But it's like there's like the hardware and the software, right? And so um if we think of the hardware as like the integrity of your gut lining and when it's when it's weak or, you know, it's got you know holes in it or something, um then it doesn't matter like how good a food is, like it'll cause intestinal distress and digestive problems. And so uh, milk will, will help to heal that, right? Like things like bone broth and, and milk is really good. You know, it, it, it people, a lot of like the vegan type inspired diets, like talk about avoiding dairy because it it increases mucus, but that, that's another one of those, like, oh, you know, this thing that's a, a natural response from your, bo- for your body that protects it, like that coincides with bad things. So that means that thing is bad too, where it's like, okay, if you didn't have the, the mucus, then, you know, the thing that your body is being irritated, uh, by doesn't have, there's no protection from that. Right. So if you can in- increase a healthy mucus production, right, that is now creating more, um, uh, more protection of, of all of these membranes of your body. Um, and then, you know, in the software, if you're thinking of like, um, again, like an organic system, right. So like the inflammation in the gut, will then start to change the software kind of a thing, right? Like as you have, if you have leaky gut or if you have um, just any kind of intestinal distress, this is going to start upregulating stress hormones, which is going to downregulate digestive function. It's going to uh, slower peristalsis. So like the actual mechanical pumping of the intestines to get food through there, Um, it's going to um, limit your body's ability to produce stomach acid. It's going to Limit your body's ability to, uh, you know, get into that like rest and digest system. And it's kind of this whole downstream thing of effects where it's like, you know, I've been getting a lot more into this like repeat diet stuff. And it's like, if your thyroid is low, you're more likely to um, have uh, like, like SIBO, like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, because as your metabolism metabolism goes down, your digestive like power And like fire goes down, which means your ability to break down foods, uh, is minimized, which means you have more undigested food going through your intestines, right? Like your stomach is supposed to just like fucking annihilate everything with like, you know, it's stronger than battery acid kind of a thing. And then, you know, it's not supposed to, uh, have like a fermentable sort of system in your small intestine that's supposed to stay in your colon. Um, and so if the system is overburdened by uh, just a, a suffered ability to, to digest food, you know, whether it's just from stress or whether it's from all these processed foods or even foods that like are like normal or like seemingly healthy, but just like you in your weakened state, you can't digest then everything just goes to shit. Um, and so one of the things that I've really been focusing is just like, I just only eat what digests well, even if there's like a healthy food that doesn't digest well for me, you know, like I will, uh, I will like revisit those things, you know, when I'm feeling like, man, my digestion is great right now. Now let's try it versus like, you know, let me just experiment with everything at the same time while like, I just kind of throw my, my gut into like a haywire type of situation. Um, and, uh, yeah. So all these different components in food, like uh, I'm sorry, in milk, like the, the calcium itself is helping completely like change your metabolism, right? It is, it is reducing stress on the body so that your body, you know, isn't, um, pulling calcium from your bones, right? It's, it's going to lower your, your parathyroid glands so that your actual thyroid, which is opposed by the parathyroid thyroid can function properly. Um, you know, the, there you know a lot of um anti milk people funnily enough like they'll never admit that estrogen is bad but then they'll be like you're drinking estrogen cow pus water you know they use these like weird kind of ways of um framing what you're doing but like milk has progesterone in it as well too and it has enough to counter the estrogen and progesterone will actually increase your body's ability to digest uh lactose So it's just like, there's this beyond our ability to determine a number of things within the milk and then downstream of the causes of the milk, which seem to, you know, improve your health in, in all ways and improve the digestibility of the milk. So trying, getting to digest milk, I would say is like a really important like aspect of health if you can, because it's just such an incredible food.
0: Yeah, and and that's those are like so important. Um, the details to go into because I, I think you're talking about know, calcium. Drink your milk, like you know, you get strong bones. It's like what everyone was told for so long, um, because of the calcium, which is true, but I think it's also because it's vitamin K2, right? That's kind of regulating where that calcium goes. That you know, vitamin K2 is actually pretty challenging to get from. You know a diet if you're not consuming like raw dairy i mean maybe meat has some fermented foods have have some and different like uh, the monanoquin types or whatever it's called but in general what you brought up there the second point is, is something i've been thinking more about because you know people talk about yeah the the hormonal impact of drinking milk and for me the question is like can you overdo it? Like, cause I was probably drinking half a gallon of of raw milk a day last year. I would say I've definitely come down um, from that quantity. I was just like getting really excited and, you know, just drinking a ton of milk. I don't really think I noticed any differences, but you start thinking more about, you know, the quantity of, of estrogen and and other, you know, hormonal items in this very dynamic, alive um, food that is raw milk what what do you think about that you think can you overdo it or is there like an age where you shouldn't drink raw milk or a better age say if you're young and you know trying to grow with all these growth factors if you're gonna uh
2: use like the modifier of like too much like there's too much of anything right um obviously like yeah you could you could drown yourself in raw milk might be a good way to go but um uh there's obviously like it, 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 as with that, it's a depends, right? Like in, in uh, the context of what? Um, So, you know, like, if you were, what else are you eating? Like, what is the state of your health? What is the state of your digestive system? Um, One of the things that, you know, it's kind of like a, an Ayurvedic concept, but, you know, it was kind of, again, like humans, we, we find different ways to kind of like explain and describe things and we could be talking about the same thing, but like sort of, or like almost exactly the same thing, but just like conceptualized differently. And so, um, in, uh, in Ayurveda, they have like this concept of, uh, like the digestive fire, right? So like how strong is that fire? So earlier I was kind of talking about like really strong, potent, um, stomach acid, um, uh, yeah, like a really high-functioning metabolism where you could just, like, the fire's burning hot, right? Now you could just start throwing logs in there and and you're chilling. Um, and, you know, there's this idea of... And I believe there's, like, an element to this of, of Chinese medicine as well, too. But, you know, like, they kind of have this concept of, like, hot and cold, right? Like, there's the these temperatures affect the system. And so there's this idea that, like, if you were to drink too much milk, like, especially too much, like cold milk, you are kind of putting out this fire. Um, Which again, I just, I think it's going to be a really like individual thing. Um I do know that, you know, there was a time when I was like uh, 10 years ago, honestly, like just about exactly 10 years ago, I was drinking a half gallon of raw milk every day. And I was just like crushing all the food in the world. And I mean, I was also like, yeah, it's like when you're think about this, like when you're young, you can like get away with stuff. And what that means is you're just more resilient. It means you have a stronger digest, uh, entire body, digestive system, everything, metabolism. And so what if you just like, didn't become weak, what could your body handle? And then not just in a negative sense, like how much beating can I handle? But like, how much can I get done in a sense? Like if I can digest more food and I can raise my body's system to a higher form of energy, I'm going to be, I can heal faster. I'm I'm going to be less stressed. I'm going to be happier. I can have more fun. I can have better ideas. Like I can, I can, I can help in more ways, right? Like instead of kind of thinking, you know, this is kind of where I've kind of recently more diverged from like that, the kind of, more like philosophical concepts from like a more paleo ish idea. But even like, it's kind of like the whole diet world is sort of like, um, in this kind of, uh, poverty scarcity sense where it's like, well, you know, calories are, uh, are hard to find. And so we need to like function, turn our systems into a way where it's like we we downregulate things so that like oh I can get really good, I'm good at fasting now I can go you know 16 hours 20 hours every day without fasting like I'm not hungry it's like yeah your body is t- is not thinking it's going to get any food so it has to downregulate everything in that time um and and versus now it's like how do I make my system higher functioning stronger being able to do more things if you're, if you're going to do more things, yeah, at some point, you know, you are going to need more resources, but with that should come a better efficiency, right? So like the, the very scientific metric of like things per resource, um, I guess. Um, and so, yeah, when it comes to like thinking about these different foods that, that, uh, are, or can be very healthy or have lots of uses, what you're, you're not thinking of like the food is never like the, 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 like the end all be all. It's like what it does for you. Right. So if there's a certain amount of milk, which would like serve you, and then there's uh, less, which would serve you less and then more, which would also serve you less. And so I, I I was actually thinking about this yesterday. I was like going to write this. I probably send it out at some point today, but like, if I could tell, if I could just give like a single piece of advice, like for health, And to just like add something, right? Because everything's like, don't eat sugar, like don't eat seed oils. But it's like, okay, what do I do? If I had to add one thing, I would say like, find a way to consume as much dairy as humanly possible because of, of how incredible of a food source is, what it does for like your entire system, that it is this complete food, you know, I'm obviously depending on the form that has like protein, fat and carbs that is, that can and should be like very easily digestible in, in a healthy, in a healthy system, um, that the hormones in obviously like healthy cows not treated with, with, uh, weird medications and hormones that's on good feed that has a good, what you're, what you're getting. And, you know, I, my, my son just turned one a couple months ago and like, you know, obviously like in, in when you're having like children, you know, breastfeeding and all this kind of stuff, you're really kind of thinking about this transfer of health in a great way. Cause like while he's in the womb and now while he's out and breastfeeding, like his, per, like, you know, the vast majority, even though now he's eating a little bit, the vast majority of his sustenance is from the mother. Right. And so the mother, you have everything that the mother intakes in and you have everything the mother does to it. And so it's like this transfer of health and nutrition. And so, um, you know, like the, the animal, like the, the, this kind of like step in between of, of us and, of, and like the original food source, whatever that is, in the right animal improves the nutrition, right? Like we're not going to go into a field and go munch on grass all day. But if a cow does it or a bison does it, now that turned, that's turned into some good shit for us, right? So it's this like improvement filter of sorts. And cows and any animal that, like, you know, makes dairy is, like, creating this, like, hyper concentrated and, like, carefully constructed and filtered substance that is designed to build, like, a new life. Like, to give it everything that it needs. And this is just, like, a super powerhouse, liquid gold type of, like, man – you know, the, the cultures that, that drink a lot of milk, like, did go look at that? Like, do they look like they have like hormonal problems, right? Like, they, I mean, they have hormonal problems. that it looks like they're on like, you know, ass loads of steroids or something. Um, because like the system, like when the system is functioning well, it does good things with like, with good things. Um, and I, I do think that it's possible that if your digestion is terrible and you start like pouring on like lower quality milk on it, like yeah, you might create some some problems. But that's like why I kind of say like find a way to, you know, if your digestion isn't good, find a way to improve your digestion so that you can get the milk and do good things with it because it is such an incredible food source.
1: You know, that actually makes me think of a question. We kind of talked to, you kind of talked about it earlier when we were talking about the different um, gut bacteria and how those interact and how that interacts with milk and all and how milk can aid with that and all that stuff. Um, but it made me think because my girlfriend is, super allergic to milk and not lactose, like allergic to some, what, what are the amino acids in it or like whey or casein or something like that. And so for someone like that, who has like a lot of digestive problems, like allergic to multiple foods, avocados, like watermelons, some strange ones, apple peels, all this stuff. How would you go about introducing milk into that scenario for somebody like that. Because that's that's like a multi-step process. Obviously, you have to understand what's going on in the gut. Could be many things. But I just wonder, like, if that was you, where would you start sort of at?
2: So, you know, you're saying that she has like allergies to all kinds of foods, right? Yeah. So I always I I always kind of say like allergies like aren't real. Like it's not a real thing. As in obviously, like there's something happening that exists, but When people think they're allergic, they're like, my body is incapable of handling this thing. And that would be saying like, you know, if I had like a canoe with a, with like a hole in it, I'd be like, my canoe is allergic to water. It's like, no, you got to, you got a hole. It's broken. Like you could fix it though. And then it won't be allergic to water anymore. And so what you're basically talking about is you're talking about like a severely um, impaired digestive system where all these different things just cannot be digested and broken down properly. So kind of going to that earlier analogy, like, yeah, there could be, you know, there's going to be a mix of like hardware, software, and those kind of things, you know, kind of affect each other. Um, and uh, so, you know, like, can she like digest the like bone broth or like gelatin, stuff like yeah. that?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, So big like, on that.
2: I I would consume a lot of that. Um, that is going to help ensure, right. That the, uh, the lining itself is in a good place. Um, and then she almost certainly has like a really big, uh, bacterial like shit show in her intestines. Um, and so looking at some kind of like, um, uh, you know, like natural kind of antibiotic type thing. So like the, the Ray Pete carrot salad, right. So the, um, the carrot fibers are uh, antibacterial and um, and antiestrogenic, and they kind of like absorb um, uh, the the, um, the endotoxin that the bacteria create. And then the the coconut oil, uh, olive oil, works vinegar. You know, you can do all of these things. They have antimicrobial properties too. So the the carrots pull them into the digestive tract, and then allow um, the coconut oil and the olive oil and stuff like that to kind of like, uh, uh, with these like antiseptic properties and like kill off the, the bacteria that's in there. Um, and so, like I said, like I have, I have found that the, the biggest priority and like just me feeling good on a day to day basis is keeping my digestion, my digestion good and like clear. And as I've really been like putting a lot more effort into this now, like my kind of biggest, I was always like, generally healthy like i developed well and i you know whatever um and my biggest thing was like man i just like i'm bloated and i have just like this discomfort and so where my my kind of um first interest into nutrition came from just like being a better athlete and performance-based stuff like that i realized like how much I was just not feeling well because of the state of my digestion and gut. And so that was the kind of impetus to like get into carnivore, get into primal, like experiment with these peat things. Like that is kind of the driver. And especially like just in the last few weeks as I've been like, okay, my my main focus is just like, can I keep my gut feeling good? And, you know, where I would normally be like bloated like every day. And it's kind of like, you don't even feel like eating because you're trying to wait for it to go down, but like it never quite goes down. Like now I'm just not bloated like ever. Like I'm not bloated while I'm eating. I'm not bloated after I'm eating. And that like really just came from eliminating like anything that might cause problems. But my diet isn't really strict. I'm just like not going out into like weird places to to eat things that might be troublesome. And then really, really focusing on um, keeping the gut clean. So like, yeah, lots of the carrot salad. I am mean, doing the, the white, but- white button mushroom thing. Um, I had a, a tweet about it and it has like the instructions on, on how to cook it, but basically these really fibrous foods, but they're, they're insoluble. So your body doesn't, can't actually digest them. So they don't ferment themselves. They're like kind of like that old school, just like use the fiber to like push the shit out of your system. There's so, but there's, there's, um, it's not just as simple as that because there are these like hormonal effects. Like there are these like anti-estrogenic properties to these things. And, um, they, they lower all of this, uh, distress and bloat and bacteria and all these kind of things in the gut that like, then I just feel like everything's like working really well. Cause like when I don't feel uncomfortable, like just that state of discomfort is stress. And if you have that, then everything's going to work worse because it's, it's, um, it's distracted, right? Like how can you calm down and just like allow your body to heal properly and, and do all these like you know, kind of simple processes when it's like, man, like I, I just like all this distraction and like noise and, and, uh, and inflammation. Um, so I like getting the gut, right. I would say like for anyone is probably like step one, but especially for someone like your girlfriend, like it is the gut. And the question is like, what's going to be like the thing that, that really quite solves it. Um, so I would look into the carrot salad thing a lot, Uh, personally, I've found that the white button mushrooms work better for me for as far as like clearing things through and, um, really kind of reducing the state of like bloating and, and discomfort. Um, and when I do that, like my, the things on my body, which like might seem to be some type of, uh, autoimmune or allergic type thing, like skin issues, I was having problems with like psoriasis and stuff. Like when the gut is clean, like there's no like flare ups of, of things, And so, you know, I might ask like, you know, not to get like too personal, like what the allergic reactions are, Um, you know, like, are they some kind of like skin irritation? Does she have like anaphylaxis? Like, what is it?
1: Yeah. So it's, it's, it's skin, it's rashes. Sometimes her tongue will feel itchy. Um, And all those things you said earlier make a lot of sense to me because back in my day growing up, I had one, just the worst seasonal, worst seasonal allergies every year. It was just terrible. Um, and then on top of that, I dealt with a lot of through high school. And actually, I used to have a personal trainer who would yell at me in the gym because I was so gassy constantly. Just like I, I had no control either. I'd be in a squat, you squat down, compresses everything, you just boom, clears the entire squat rack room, which I guess for me was good because they're always full, but it was terrible. I would get like stomach cramps, it would turn over and like changing these things in my diet. And Actually, the carrot salad thing you mentioned is was super powerful for me about a year or so ago when I started doing a lot of this stuff. Um, and I don't have any gut issues anymore. But yeah, it's, it's a lot of like skin stuff. Eczema is a big issue. And these are all things that are super common in people I talk to that deal with gut pain is they also have skin issues or other food allergies. And so, yeah, stuff like that.
2: Yeah. Um, so like when you're seeing anything coming through the skin, what you know is that it's an internal issue, right? Like it, it's coming out of the skin, you know? So people usually go for something topical, which like can and does help, especially if you actually are giving something like really appropriate. That's like actually going to like work to help heal the thing. But the problem is still going to come from deeper. Um it it, honestly, the best approach is to go from inside and out, just like squish it like from both sides. Um, and so like, there isn't like just an one answer of like how to fix the gut. But if you understand that fixing the gut is the solution, then you can start experimenting with, with different things. Right. So like, yeah, you can try the carrot salad. You can try, you know, coconut oil. You can try, uh, activated charcoal. You can try the, um, the white button mushrooms. You can try like um, you know, even though I'm not a big fan of like fasting, like a temporary fast to just like reduce irritation, like can help. Um, and then, you know, like, but go forward from there with like an intelligent kind of like a uh, reintroduction of food. So maybe do a, do a short term elimination diet. Um, but you know, like the thing that I find the problem with like, you know, something like a carnivore or a primal is that it's extremely limiting. It's like, these are the rules you have to follow to get to health, as opposed to like, get to health, here's some help, how to get there. Um, which is why that like I've been really drawn to the the kind of Pete perspective. Cause it's like, try this. Uh, no. Okay. Try that. No. Okay. Try like whatever works is like on the table. Um, and so like, yeah, you know, you could look into, um, you know, obviously like Google's your friend, Twitter's your friend, just sort of like see what people have like tried for things, right? Like, you know, talking about how um, milk does this or orange juice does that or carrots do that or gelatin does this or, you know, sugar does that or coffee does this, like all these different foods, you know, um, and then like there's the whole world of like herbs and stuff too. Like they all have these like properties. And so if you kind of troubleshoot with like what you think the problem actually is, you know, like gut problems is like a very a vague problem. But if you start trying things and it's like, see what works and see what, what doesn't work so much, then you kind of, you, if you actually want like the specific answer, you can kind of be like, okay, it's not this problem. It's that problem. Or like, it's a, this deficiency or that thing, or you can just go like this works and this doesn't work. So then I'm going to kind of try, you know more of this thing versus that thing, and then um, again, just like not being not being limited into what what you can try. Um, you know, like there's there's all these foods that that we have found, right? That humans have found over time. That you know, you realize, oh, this culture does this food, and this culture does this entirely other food, but they they do the same job in the context and so it's just like experimenting with what work will work for you as an individual
0: yeah i think this is like a really important message because it's like yeah the diet world is so convoluted with like convoluted with all these different messages and, and people can get really confused and yeah carnivore i think has become so popular because it's just like all right yeah it's really simple and for me it's yeah it's a good maybe a good starting place but at the end of the day, like you're saying, everyone's, you know, everyone's path to where their health issues are is completely different and your issues are different. I mean, you're living in a different environment. How could the solution be exactly the same? But the only way you're going to figure that out is if you do the due diligence of the research and, and trying things. And what's important that you said earlier is not trying 100 different things at once because then you have so many confounding independent variables but you're kind of, you know, starting at a baseline, maybe some elimination diet and then trying to see, you know, the improvements and then, you know, adding one or, you know, maybe two things different and then seeing it, being diligent about your body, you know, you're talking about bloating and, you know, your how your your passing stool and bowel movements, like you need to be on top of that because no one else is going to be able to figure that out for you, right? And people just want someone to tell them what to do. But in reality, no one knows your own system better than yourself. So you kind of have to take that responsibility on. I mean, and and that's what it comes down to. So I think, yeah, it's important to not be dogmatic in, in terms of this. But I'm curious as well, how, you know, you went, you know, you've tried a lot of different things. And obviously for for the people who don't know you're you work on a farm, you're a farmer butcher I mean we can get into that, but how have you noticed like you know the quality of your food, which is probably far higher in you know, the last four or five years maybe than the beginning of your life? how have you noticed that like make a big difference in terms of how you feel whether whether it is a plant or or is an animal
2: like that's a source of your food they're all they're always like they're they're middlemen in a sense right? Like if you are eating plants, right? And I'm, I'm not like, yeah, carnivore plants are going to kill you kind of thing. Obviously some are better than others. Um, but the plant is a conduit from the soil, right? Of nutritional value. And then also like from sun and water, right? So you're getting like this, a plant, you're getting the synergy of like the inherent genetics of the plant. Like what kind of plant is it? And then you're getting the soil, you're getting the water, you're getting the sun, and then it combines into this, like, you know, Captain Planet <laughs> Earth, water, fire, um, into this, like, food, right? So now you have the food that – but it isn't – like, it only is the food when it has all of those components together. The funniest thing ever is, like, NutritionFacts.com, which is, you know, owned by Michael Greger, who's, like, a vegan doctor who looks like he's, like, terrible. Um but what it, what do you mean that like an apple has like this many milligrams of v- vitamin whatever? It's like w- which apple, right? Like what do, what do you mean? Like two apples from the same tree won't even have the same like, you know. And so like all on average, it's like, okay, well, how terrible is the average s- soil? Like what are we even talking about? It, it's kind of – this has been the biggest thing that, and I'm writing a, an article on this right now, where it's like the, one of the biggest things that, that you get when you start producing food is that you're like, food, isn't just food. Like this is a unique thing right here. Right. Like I, you know, right now I'm, I'm pretty much just like, I've just kind of transitioned to like doing butchering full-time for the farm as opposed to like general farms, uh, chores. And, um, so, you know, like, Yesterday, uh, I just finished packaging up like six sheep that I I slaughtered last week, and then I processed them over the last two days. And I did the same cuts for each animal. Like I did, you know, chops for each animal, shanks for each animal, like, okay, ground, like leg row, like all that kind of stuff. And each sheep, which was like the same breed from like the same, you know, um, Uh, like origin, right? Like they all like were born together on the same farm. Like all of their cuts look different, right? Like this one's chops look like this, but this one's chops look like that. Like they're all a unique individual thing, right? And so obviously like that doesn't mean that like there's only one sheep that in the whole world that's like worth eating. It just means that they're all different. And what you really understand is like what you do dictates what you get right like how you raise the animal how you um the conditions where you you plant your you know produce is going to dictate you know what you get and so the end point nutritional value which affects your system is going to be uh you know it's like a mix of like more good and less bad right so like it's going to uh have more benefits and have fewer problems to it. Um, so for instance, you know we were talking about all these different milks that I can or can't drink and, and whatnot. And so I, I'm from originally from California and California has the benefit of having raw milk be legal. Now it doesn't mean that like you just go to any market and you can get raw milk. There's only certain stores which carry them and there's only certain brands of raw milk that are allowed. There's two raw milk brands which are legal and they're pretty much just sold in Sprouts, which is very popular in all through California and um, like smaller, like kind of like hippie health food kind of stores. Um, So every Sprouts in California carries the bigger brand. And then, like, the little smaller stores will carry the big brand and, like, the the smaller brand. If I drink that big brand's raw milk, raw whole milk, I have a terrible, terrible time. Like, just even now, even now that I can go to the store here in Colorado and go get a local um, pasteurized milk from the store and have no problems – I get this one raw milk, and I have a terrible, terrible time. So I can't say what it is exactly about the milk, if it's, um, you know, the the feed of the cows, if it's the breed of the cows, if it's the processing of the milk, if it's the facility, I don't know. All I know is that if I drink that milk, I have a terrible time digestively. And, um, you know, like, I have a sort of gripe with this brand um even though like it's how honestly i think the majority of i think the majority of americans who drink raw milk probably drink that milk because the i i don't have any evidence to back this up but i'm pretty sure the majority of americans who are into raw milk are california hippies and it's is the most abundant like every single sprout's an entire state of california which is like the biggest fucking state has this milk and they have gallons and gallons and gallons of this milk so we're talking about a large operation um but you know like they're they feed their cows canola cakes and so i don't know if that's the problem all i know is that their milk is a problem for me um and so the quality of of the food and just like you know, when we're talking about quality, people just kind of think it's like a, just an up or down slider scale, but it's also just like a difference. Um, something about certain foods are going to cause you more problems and something about certain foods are going to have more nutrition to them. Like we on the farm, like we make bone broth. So every time after I slaughter an animal, I take the head of the animal and all four hooves and I put them into like a big pan. And then, um, they take that and they make bone broth from that. Uh, So that is this like hyper nutritious bone broth because you're getting like, you're getting like boiled brain, you know, in there, you're getting the eyeballs, you're getting just like a lot of this really like rich gelatinous tissue in the hooves and in the, in the um, cheeks and the jowls and all that kind of stuff in the tongue. And like that bone broth versus like, you know, like, my sort of go-to if we need broth, for like, from the store, like, in emergency is, like, the fide bone broth, which is, like, fine. It's nothing like the broth that, that we make, though. Um, and it's – the the thing, like, I definitely, like, had a phase where I was just, like, man, if it's not, like, the most, like, purest, most incredible food in the world, it's, like, poison and you're going to die right now. Um It's just like, it's important to realize the differences in things and what is better and worse, like literally for you. And like, what is worth your time and energy and money and attention, you know, like you can drive yourself crazy trying to eat like the most perfect, purest diet ever. Um, But then again, like the stress that comes from that might counteract the benefits from it being, you know, more nutritious and stuff anyways. So what I would say like for people is to – there's like a mix because like not like to get political but there is a, like a um, a ramification for where your money goes, right? Like when people say vote with, vote with your dollars, like if you have to pay a little bit extra to keep like a local farm afloat, um, that might actually be worth it in the long run. No one is telling you that you have to do that. If you, if you just have to go to Whole Foods or if you have to go to – you know, Aldi's or whatever, like do whatever is, you know, it's your life and you don't have to do anything. um, But it just like, find out what you think makes your life better. Find out which foods and find out which like, you know, uh, producers of foods, like actually kind of improves this whole thing. Like, you know, at, at the farm I work on, like we have these like community dinners and things and it's like, man, you know, like this farm, which like when, Oh, like if, uh, if there's another like lockdown kind of thing or like crazy supply chain stuff goes down, like, Hey, there's this like local food supplier thing. Right. So there's all these different variables in place that I would say like, you know, the, the nutritional philosophy is the same thing as like the sourcing philosophy, which is like, don't be religiously adherent to something. Just do what you can best determine makes your life better. And so like, yeah, I drink a lot of orange juice and I prefer to, um, buy fresh oranges and juice them myself. And I know that certain types of oranges, like both the, um, the strain of orange and also like the source, sometimes they're, they're a lot more bitter and the juice isn't as good and it kind of messes up my gut. And if they're the other one is like sweeter and it's better, but then like, you know, sometimes it's like, okay, like uh, uh, I'm a little tight on, on money right now and I can't afford the nicer oranges. So I'm going to buy a better, another option, right? Like you just, the best thing to do is understand what it is that you're actually doing and then go from there. Cause if you don't know what you're doing, you're just kind of making like random, random choices. And most people just don't have the the presence to be, uh, to be aware of like what's helping them and what's hurting them to then make the decisions.
0: Yeah. I think what you said, you know, is just the cognizance of like knowing that your dollar or whatever you're spending, you know, the outcome will be different. And I think that's important because it's like, yeah, um, you're talking about the difference in this bone broth. I mean, difference in the quality of milk. So I think people need to realize at least the average person, maybe that doesn't shop. At a farmer's market or go to a local farmer, you know, it's a worth it to spend more money um, to keep them afloat, but B, you're probably going to be able to tell the quality of the operation. So, inherently, like you're saying, the chances of you getting more nutrition per unit ounce is higher. So, therefore, that cost could be very well justified. But no one's saying you have to go do that, you know, every single day or every single week. Like, that's beyond, you know, the scope of like, someone telling you what you should or should not do with your own money, and the budget may dictate how often you do that. But just know, you know, if you go into Whole Foods, or if you go into you said Aldi, you know, there's, there's this level of like, maybe what the average nutrition of one unit of food would have per dollar, and you can start to kind of think about that. And yeah, maybe some days convenience, and, you know, you just need to get um, whatever you can get for the price, then that's when you know you go to these other stores. But if you're really looking to get the most nutritionally and you have the means, um, then you know you shop more locally. So I think that's that's really an important distinction to make. and at the end of the day it's it's always gonna be a trade off, but you know you you bring up some some good points with the the milk. so I mean, are you pretty much saying that you think you know we've talked about this? That it's it's almost virtually impossible for something to work at such a scale and still maintain that level of quality, um, because of compromises, or do you think you just companies tend to cut corners when they do operate at such a scale? I, I think it's a little bit of both. You know, it's it's like a mix of these, like um,
2: the things that you have to do to make an operation of a certain size just like function it's a little bit like more removed. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the operations on a large scale, but still like small dairy operation are like, for instance, like this farm that supplies the raw milk is not the same as like the milk that goes like the organic Valley milk that goes to like every fucking store in the whole country. Right. Like there's, there's, Levels to this shit. Um, but there are, um, you know, I, 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 I have this video I saw a while back. It was on YouTube about this, like, super, like, you know, AI robot dairy farm kind of thing. And so um, the, the cows walk into their stanchion and laser the – if you've ever milked a cow, um, you know, you can do it by hand, which takes forever – or like you put this little like suction claw, right? So it's got four little, um, you know, what they call like, they're called like inflations. These are like kind of plunger like things. And they just like go around the udder. And then the, the airline comes through and pulls, it literally starts milking the, the teats and pulls it into like a canister or down a tube and goes to, you know, someplace to deposit. And so at, at this farm, there's lasers, on the end of the thing that find the udder and automatically insert themselves onto the cow. It's because each, each cow's udders are different size and shaped and spaced and angled. Like <laughs> I've milked cows where the udders are like really short and they're all like pointed in towards each other. And then other ones were like, they're really big and like out and separated and stuff. And so then the, um the cow, the milk is analyzed, like, you know, like kind of on the spot. And, um, that way they, 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 test for, you know, mastitis or, um, any kinds of, uh, other issues. And they're also measuring like the, um, the nutritional output. And then that goes into like a computer a formula and it dictates the kind of feed that they get, which automatically gets served to them in a certain mix of like this grain plus this seed and this thing and that thing and this amounts of it. And so you're like, wow, they're measuring like all these things, but like no one is just like sitting there and like checking on the cow, you know what I mean? Like you have all these like metrics, but you kind of but you lose the cow in the metrics. You're like cow number eight seven five has a uh, you know this much, this many gallons, and uh, this much nutritional thing with a you know kind of like a, a bacterial particle count of this thing and that thing, and it's like okay. Do you even know, like, what the cow looks like? Like, Do you know what their temperament is like, right? Like, so then, you know, when I go to milk a cow and it's like, okay, like, you know, uh, Leah's acting a little, like, fussy today, right? And then I'm looking like, oh, she has, like, a little, like, cut on her teeth. Or, you know, she's got a little lump in here. She's got a little bit of mastitis developing, right? Like, there's there's a level of care which just, like, can't be there on a certain scale. And so you're going to miss things, but that's like it's not worth it to them because that's where like the, you know obviously the profits are. And then you know like there I'm going to completely completely like shift topic just to create an analogy. So, you know, I was really into the fitness world and you know I was in, you know, I was just like a general gym rat. I got into CrossFit, I did weightlifting, I competed in strongman. And so, I was kind of in this culture of like talking about um, different training styles and different approaches, and you know, like weightlifting is the sport that was in the Olympics. So, like as far as all the things that I did, that's the one that made it into the Olympics. And so you have this. Um, obviously, Olympics are divided by countries, right? So you have these different cultures, and like, oh, they're doing the Russian style, or they're doing German volume training. Oh, they're doing Bulgarian style, the Chinese style. And they're all like completely different philosophies, completely different approaches, different, you know, fluctuations in volume and schemes and all these kind of things. And the Chinese are incredibly good at weightlifting, especially in the smaller weight classes. You know, like the the best weightlifter uh, uh, right now, at least the last I checked, I really haven't paid attention um, in the last few years, is this guy named Lasha something from Georgia. And, you know, he's like clean and jerking like 600 plus pounds which is just like absolutely insane but he's like six seven and like 400 pounds right there's when's the last time you saw a chinese person that big right like Yao Ming's kind of like not like a norm um anyways china is huge in the sense they have like the actually india just surpassed them in people but china has a shit ton of people and so china produces this really high number of of uh, gold medalists and and you know Medalists of all kind in weightlifting. And so there's this kind of this expression that it's like they have enough people that it doesn't matter how many of them they break as long as they get like two or three good ones. Right. So when you're on a dairy farm of that scale, it's like what who cares what happens to cow eight seven five? Because if we do it this way, uh, we're gonna get all you know, whatever kind of milk that we need in general from all of them that's not worth the time and effort and energy to like go like, see how they're doing and like rub their back a little bit. Right. Um, and then like, so then you're talking about like the actual health of the cows themselves, which again, is this like transfer filter of the actual food product itself, right? Like, uh, an unhealthy cow cannot produce good milk. It's just like, not possible now, you know, the milk might be, uh, better than not having milk but it's still an inferior product and if that couch itself was healthier and um so the the degraded quality of that and then with you what you think of is like all the precautions and stuff that you have to kind of put in place to like for like for instance we've had times like i mean someone has milked the cow and then been bringing like the pail back and like dropped it right and it's like okay that you're talking like you know uh, 10 gallons, maybe like 10 gallons of milk. And like that's just like gone. And you're like, that sucks. I guess we can't sell milk today. But like, that's not the case in these operations, which everything is like, you know, you can't just like drop like today's milk production, which is going to be like, I don't know, thousands of gallons of milk or whatever. Um, and so they have to put all these things in place, which is like, okay, um, how sanitized is everything? Right. So like we do like a a natural kind of like seeding approach, which again, talking about the bacteria. So we never use um, like soap on our milk pails. Right. Because what you're doing there is one, you're putting like some kind of toxic residue into the pail, but then you're also sterilizing it, which then again creates a vacuum for some kind of bacteria. So you actually get more bacterial problems when you do that. So you kind of have to go like one or two ways. You have to go like the fully sterilized route or you have to go like the really natural route. Um, And so like if you are, if the pail does get like dirty or something, you know, we can use something like hydrogen peroxide, which is like a uh, natural sterilizer. But then you would just like pour milk right back into it and kind of like reseed it with the bacteria of the milk and then like wash it out. And so you're, you're losing like, you know, and all these like little ways, like, okay, what's the transportation like, like, okay, um, what's the bottling like, okay, is it being bottled in the plastic versus glass, like, there's all like these like little things, which like add up once you get on a certain scale, which at a certain point, you become so detached from, like the main thing that you know, you end up with like your produce at Whole Foods, which has like, you know, wax on it, so that it like, looks shinier, or, you know, like kind of, Lasts a tiny bit longer or they gas it or they radiate it. Right. Like you can have the food that is, um, grown or produced in the best way. And, you know, this is kind of like the thing that's, it's just really sad because like all of these incredible, you know, beef producers that i have been meeting as I've gotten into farming, like they still use a USDA processor, which means like their meat has to get washed in citric acid. And the citric acid they use is, is harvested from black mold and it causes all kinds of health problems. So it's like the best farmer that you might ever meet, it's like their meat will end up tainted once it leaves their their hands. And so like we still have a long way to go on um getting like I wouldn't say getting around, but like just breaking down these sort of like barriers which are getting in the way of us um getting the food that we actually want and not you know, not hurting the farmers who they want to do everything the right way, but they just like, if you, you know, especially now that I'm a butcher, like it's, it's just really wild. It's like, you know, for instance, I'll take an animal and I'll, I'll slaughter it and I'll cut it up and I'll bring some of that home for dinner that night. And that's like this really kind of like wild, like, you know, um, Tristan, you were telling about like your hunting story, right? Like with the elk, like for, for people like who haven't hunted or like, you know, maybe more people have like fish, but there's this kind of like weird, like, you know, some like for instance, like sometimes I'll 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 just bring home like a roast from work, which I had cut up like weeks prior, and I'm just kind of sitting there, like looking at this thing, and I'm just like, "This is the food I'm going to eat," and like my knife like shaped the, this whole thing, like that's kind of like this like really kind of trippy mindset, and this this per, the processing stage is like the bottleneck for all um, like meat producers, right? It's like if you have a million cows, but you have no processing. You don't have food. It doesn't matter how many cows you have. It doesn't matter how like incredible your land is and how healthy you have to turn them into food. And so everyone has to use these USDA processors. One, if you want to sell sell them to the public, right? If you don't have a private farm, like, like the farm I work on is, then you have to have a USDA processing, which means like you have to pay someone to be on site to supervise like all the time and then they mandate this citric acid wash and um, then you're just like – you're sort of left with this like your um, – what's the word I'm looking for? It's like your balls are in someone else's hands. It doesn't matter like what value you hold. Like you're at the mercy of this processor who is telling you what you can or can't do or when you're allowed to process versus just like – you know, one thing you're finding now is a lot of farmers are just learning how to do this stuff themselves. That way, in case anything happens, they have their own facility on site. Like we have our own hanging space and butcher room and uh meat grinder and, you know, vacuum seal bags, freezer. Like we do all of it ourselves. Um, because like all that has to happen is the local facility goes down and then you are screwed.
1: Yeah. I mean, actually this goes into a really interesting topic too about connection with our food. Like we were talking about operation size and even something that is as, I mean, like raw milk, like that raw milk company in California is is huge. And like you mentioning differences there. And in my opinion, anything that grows, even if it starts as a small operation, there's going to be this, at some point, some barrier of entry to where something has to be changed or altered to reach a mass scale, at least for like an individual operation. And so something's going to change. And for me, it kind of goes back to the connection. Like you mentioned, if you are a dairy that owns a couple thousand cows, it's a very different experience than maybe say where you work, where you have so many, you actually know the cows on an individual level. And then you have the consumer side where many of us just go to the store we know what we like, we buy it off the shelf, but we don't know anything about the experience those animals went through, how they were raised, what they ate. And so we have this complete disconnect that happens on both the producer and consumer level. And so that's where I think shopping locally to as much of your ability as you can is is valuable. And meeting the farmers at farmers markets and meeting these people that work in these smaller operations because you do, like you mentioned, taking that home taking that meal home from work right after Processing it is a completely different experience than just buying a steak at Outback, and and not knowing anything about where that steak came from. So I feel like there's definitely um, I'd I'd like to know more about your thoughts on sort of that barrier to entry for smaller operations that are growing. Like, is it even possible to mass scale? And then, like, what can we do as consumers to to improve that like connected experience? And how can producers also improve that experience too? Because to me, it's like maybe it's better if we just all operate on more of a local community basis than than rely on a few meat companies for all the meat in America. So, but there's there's a lot of nuances there.
2: People will often say that like the one of the major issues with like modernity or whatever is like our obsession with convenience, right? Like you can go to your local grocery store and get like foods that are from all around the world and not just like foods from around the world, but foods that they're themselves from all around the world. Like you go and get one food that's been packaged and the ingredients are sourced from like, like, have you guys ever seen, not that I'm like into that kind of stuff anymore, but um, there was a, you know, Milton Friedman, the libertarian guy. um, He has this video about the pencil. Have you seen the video about the pencil? He said, no one in the world can make this pencil because the graphite is from, you know, Somewhere, and the wood is from somewhere else, and the metal is from somewhere else, and the the rubber, the eraser is from someone else. You need like an entire global scale economy to like bring all these ingredients together to make this pencil. So many of our foods, and like I don't know, I don't know if it's like you know, maybe it's possible that you could get all those ingredients somewhere in like one country or something. But again, like you know, think about the Think about like the U.S. versus like Europe, right? Where like we are one country, but like we're, we're the size of Europe or like bigger than Europe. So like every European person you meet, like like when we go to like a state over, they're going to like two countries over, um, and that's why they all speak like you know five languages because like they're all just like right there. And so we we are just used to like oh I want this thing, <clears throat> I I ex- expect that I can get this at the store, which means I should be able to have that. And then you go to like. You know, the farm that I work on has honestly one of the most incredible like farm stores I've really ever seen. Um basically it's uh we're open from sunup to sundown every day, you know, like twenty-four or seven. And you just grab whatever you want and then you check out, you know, it's honor system. Um, you know, there's a little like square thing at the end. And so there's like freezers full of meat, you know, we have beef and we have pork and lamb that we all raise on the farm. Um We have, you know, like poultry, like chickens and stuff that that we've raised on the farm. There's the eggs from the farm, duck eggs. Um, There's the fridge with that has like raw milk. It has yogurts, cheeses and butters and all the things that we make with the dairy. And then there's just there's there's more because we want people want more than that. Like we get bison from a local farm in Colorado, which we sell. Um, So like it's not from our farm but it's from Colorado. Um, and we know that our customers will want to buy it. And the producer of the bison doesn't have like they're they go to the, i bought their bison before at the farmer's market, but they don't have uh, like a storefront or anything. So that is their way to make sales year round in the winter when there's no farmer's market. But then we also get elk and uh, wild boar from uh, like, uh, hunters in Texas, right. They have some kind of operation, which, um, allows them to, to sell the, the hunted meat. And it's like, that's great because our customers want that stuff, but like, okay, now that's from another state, but that's, that's a convenience thing, but we are giving customers something they want. Right. So like, even at this small, like private thing, like you're already kind of talking about, like, you know, and then we, we, we have, a uh. Uh, we sell dates from a small, like a date farm in California. Like, you know, it's like, there's all these kind of, you can be as much or as little as you want. And I'm not saying like, you know, it's bad to like offer more things that you literally didn't like harvest yourself on one property. Um, you're you're kind of, there's like these like various like connecting ecosystems that sort of like work. And I, d- I don't mean like literal, like physical ecosystem, I mean like sort of economic systems that it's like. Okay, but we're still if we're helping like a really good, you know, small farm in California um, you know, be able to sustain themselves and then also give it to our customers, like, okay, that could be considered like a good win win on all sides. Um, but there's the thing where people start to expect the I want the Whole Foods that has everything and it's everything is fully in stock and it's year round and I want it, I want it now. Right. Like, for instance, sometimes like there ha- has been the thing where the milk is spilled or, um, you know, like none of our so some of our cows are dried up and then one of them has like a calf on them. Or, you know, sometimes if they have um, if a cow gets mastitis, we use like a natural medicine, which is like olive oil and like cinnamon and and thyme and like herbs. And we inject it, you know, with a little like um um not like a syringe with like a needle, but like a little just kind of like plungy syringe, like up into the udder, right? And it helps break down um, the, the the mass and helps the bacteria. Uh, and it's, you know, it's totally healthy for the cow, but like their milk will taste like weird herbs and stuff for the next day, like the next time we milk them out, which means we can't sell that milk. We just end up feeding it to like the pigs and chickens and stuff like that. But that means that like we're down milk. And so sometimes it's like, man, there's just, there's, sorry, there's not really much milk today. Like, you know, this is what we're talking about. is like a natural, like, what if there was like a drought and everyone's like, where's my produce? It's like, there's no water. There's no food. Sorry. Like, you know, we've just, we just assume that like everything can be had whenever we want it. And it's really good to sort of, um, again, not to live in this, like, okay, I'm going to go full prepper. Like everything that I, you know, eat has to be like, from my own garden and, you know, you know, canned and aged and stuff like that. But it's like, understand how like lucky and, you know, and, and privileged that we are to have access to these things. And then, so like plan with that in mind, you know, like I, I try to do, you know, I get all of my meat and eggs and dairy from the farm, but then like, I can't get, I can't get oranges from the farm right and so if i want an orange i have to go to like the whole foods or the natural grocers or something and but i'm instead of buying my meat from whole foods i am supporting um you know a local farm that is providing a higher value and like man if when these places are actually like supported well like the price isn't really even that big of a problem the milk on the farm that i work on which is really high quality. And the other dairy farm I used to work on, which is down the road, they both sell their milk for $16 a gallon. Which if you're in some parts of the country, you're like, holy shit, that's a lot for milk. But the raw milk in the store in California is like $18, $19 a gallon. And it's like shit. Um and so you're like, damn, it's actually better quality than the cheaper thing. Like I've heard of people in Idaho getting their raw milk from like for a $4 a gallon, which is like great but i don't live in idaho so i can't get it um but yeah it's like the the things that you have access to you have to just make the decisions for yourself like what's worth it and then if you have the ability to to afford such and such things then you are keeping uh you know these smaller basically like What we really need is we need more farms and more farmers and just like fewer um, mega producers and suppliers. So if every, you know, if every Whole Foods or every, you know, every grocery store, every high quality grocery store can sell local meat as opposed to getting it just shipped all over the country or from Australia or, or Argentina or Brazil or whatever, like that way we can improve the local communities we can improve um, the actual land itself from farmers doing things the right way because when there's a certain scale it's like you by keeping yourself under a certain scale you don't have to do certain things which cause more problems so it's like you're you're kind of like offloading this responsibility onto a higher number of of, of the farmers. And then again, like less transportation costs. So like, if you care about the environment, you wouldn't want like isolated food producers. You would want every food producer to be as local as possible.
0: Yeah. I think what you just said is, is like, you know, everyone is for this, you know, that we talk to less, you know, giant food companies, more local producers, but, Um, And then we talked to to Mitch, who's a a local regenerative um, rancher here in Utah and was saying exactly that, that, you know, he does broilers and because they're under a certain quantity, they can just, you know, process them themselves and that they don't have to be at the whims of, say, the USDA. And you talked a little bit about that Um, and going back to, you know, having less you know big corporations, more small, small producers, which is the exact opposite of what's happened the past 20, 40, 70 years. Um, you have a good experience and knowledge of exactly you know what it means to be at the whim of the USDA and you know these large multinational corporations that are kind of dictating legislation in this space. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because I know we've had some conversations, you know, the avian bird flu and things like that. And it's like, how do we get around that? Is it really just keeping it under a certain scale and being hyper local, Or do we need more, you know, smaller scale um, state facilities for processing? Like, what are your thoughts on, on all that? And, and give the listeners maybe some insights on how crazy being at the whim of, of regulation can be.
2: Yeah. So like first, what I'll I'll say is that, um, you know, like the, the way that processing has to be done in the USDA's mind, I think is poisoning our food. And so I'm, I'm in great support of, you know, having more local processors in, in place. Um, but there needs to be, um, I don't know what the exact solution is, but we need some sort of uh, um, something to fight on kind of like in a, in a legal, like political sense, right? So here in Colorado, we have um, the, the, there's the Cottage Food, Cottage Food Act, and there's the Ranch to Table Act. And I'm not, I'm admittedly not like fully versed on like what the verbiage of those things are, but those, those. Um acts allow us to sell our food privately, which means we have members who are are our owners in the um farm so they're like if you've ever if you're if you're someone who gets raw milk in a state that has what they call like a herd share program, what you're doing is you're like buying shares of the herd, right? like it's like you're investing into like a company, and so our food is sold to the owners, right? We're not selling to customers and so that means signing, you know, paperwork and and you know, it's it's kind of like membership ownership kind of fee thing, boarding fees they call it. So when you pick when you buy the meat from the store, you're actually just paying a boarding fee. That basically, you know, you're just char- we're charging you for storing your meat for you, kind of a thing. And so that has to go along with the verbiage of what these laws are. So what we need is we need like good local legislation to expand literally like our freedom to produce and, and provide food for people. Um, And, you know, every state is different, just like every state doesn't even have like raw milk available. So what we need is, you know, and I'm, I'm definitely like, as far as like approaching the American system, I'm definitely more on do things on the state level than the federal level, just because I think that's a a more effective solution and more likely to uh, have better end results and so um but there's there's still it doesn't hurt to have people like you know Thomas Massey like from Kentucky, who's like pushing this talk of like how much like how incredible raw milk is and how ridiculous it is that it's hard to it's hard to get it, and so there has to be this like i mean <laughs> you know kind of like obviously, I understand the limitations, but like we kind of need like a full like um anarchic break from all the regulatory systems because at least the way they stand now, they do not exist to serve us. And so um, what happened this past year on the farm that I was working on was, you know, we have, uh, we had like tons of chickens, you know, like about like 700, six, 700 chickens. um, And then uh, maybe like 60, 70 turkeys, um, maybe like close to like a hundred ducks and then a, a handful of geese. And um, we noticed that like some of our, our uh, chickens, like were are dying um, and the turkeys like, weren't looking good either. Some of those started dying. <clears throat> and so, um, you know, we, we went to a, um, a vet at, um, at uh, UC Boulder and, um, you know, asked them for, like, do they have any like kind of, tips on like ways that we can keep our birds healthier. And so then this led to like a reporting to the USDA, which then, you know, the whole avian flu thing going around and like, you know, the, there's still stores in town, which limit the amount of um, eggs that you can buy because of the, you know, like, I mean, obviously people have been seeing these things of like all these different food facilities, like burning down or like exploding or whatever. And so the, the, the egg market really in this in the whole country, like, you know, again, this bird flu thing. So they they say like all of these birds die from this thing. And so the thing is though, is that and that's not really always exactly what happens. So we had a, you know, a small number of our birds start dying. And then, you know, we get reported to the USDA. And so then they come and, you know, they're like, oh God, like, you know, we 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 gotta help you, right? Like your birds are sick and dying. Um, and so, you know, they come in and test, you know, a selection of our, of our birds. I think they tested a couple dozen birds and like one single bird tested positive for, for avian flu. And so instead of going like, okay, this is our, um, even if it was like mandate, this is our like uh, medical treatment for this. You have to give the birds this medicine or this thing or that thing. They go, okay, we have to kill all your birds now. So what that means is that um all the healthy birds who never got sick and had you know really strong genetics and were you know just really robust and were gonna you know likely be um you know immune or whatever you want to call it to any sort of uh um future outbreaks um, they all had to get killed off too, and so you know it's not the, quite dissimilar from the way that our country and the world sort of approached, you know, other um, medical, widespread medical issues, for lack of a better word, where it's like, it doesn't matter how healthy you are, you have to do our thing. And that solution is usually, you know, driven by um, some kind of like, ulterior motive. And in in this case, I think what, what it is, is it's, whether Okay, so you can go conspiracy and go like they're just trying to just destroy our food supply. And I think there's an element of that too. But um, also, it's protecting the major producers, right, who keep 1000s and 1000s and 1000s of birds and millions of birds and then produce, you know, these, these, um, these eggs from, you know, chickens and battery cages, who these chickens have the weakest genetics, the weakest health, like they're just absolutely in terrible condition but they're much more susceptible. And so if one of those, if they think that the disease that could go from our farm could get to one of those producers and wipe out their, uh, you know, big moneymaker, um, then, you know, we have to be sacrificed. And so the, the problem is, is, that even if we are, you know, we're allowed to sell our meat, which is not USDA uh, processed. Um, We are still under, because you raise animals and operate an agricultural, um, you know, operation, you are still under the USDA. And so, yeah, we need some sort of, I mean, obviously it's great that we are allowed to sell food to our our private members. Um, But, you know, and this is something that I've talked about in the past, but like with Amos Miller, who's the Amish farmer in Pennsylvania, you know, he has this private membership thing that he's set up, which is incredible that he can, you know, he doesn't do, he does all of his own processing, you know, all raw milk and everything. And he ships it to like every, I think all 50 States and even like Puerto Rico. Um, and you know, so like there's, there's laws in place that allow us to, to do a lot more than what people realize, but then they can, they, they just harass the shit out of you, right? Like he's always in court, hundred thousand dollar fines, constantly and it's like we just can't be left alone to, like, make food and, and sell food. Um, so what, what I think needs to happen is more people need to get into um, producing food to the point where, like, you're, you're not even, like, running a business, right? Like, if you just have your own cow or your own, like, goats and you got your own milk, like, there's nothing – to happen, there's no there's no one to come down. Like you don't have like a business that can be shut down. You just have like your own animal, um, and obviously, like I don't think every single person can and needs to like have their own cow so that they can eat milk or have milk. But um, the more that we decentralize this whole process, and then I think have more people who understand food and understand like local food communities and food production, who will then you know uh, vote and support for better legislation. Cause most people are like, I want my food to be safe. I'm going to go to the store and I just want it to be there. And like, whatever versus, you know, understanding how much, um, you know, hoops people have to jump through and how much our, our food is actually being tainted in this process. Um, it, it really is a mix of like creating like awareness and also letting a lot of people to take on a little bit of responsibility and like how their food is sourced and, and produced.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's, I mean, that's it right there. You know, that's, that's why we're doing this. We're trying to spread the message. I think it's so important that people are aware of, you know, what it means to be a food producer and sell it as a business, even small scale. I think people need to know about all these USDA regulations and processing, um, you know, bottlenecks. Well, I, just one comment there is, that's interesting is, is you said it, be more so nice to have it at the state level. And I completely agree because I was talking about with my bison rancher in Wyoming yesterday. And he was saying, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's more cows in Wyoming than, than people by like a wide margin. I think it's at least two, two and a half to one. And you get these other States like North Dakota, South Dakota, that Nebraska that are in the same boat. Um, but in order for, you know, Wyoming cattle to be sold to like, say, like a local population center, which would be Denver or Salt Lake City, they have to get processed USDA. So why couldn't there be some interstate, you know, just between these states and have an agreement where they don't need to be USDA? And, and it's just there's solutions there that I think could make sense. But it's like once you start getting across state lines, you um, yeah, it's it's you're at the whim of, of all these regulations and, and everything because um, that's how it's set up right now. But absolutely. I mean, if you just homesteading and maybe, you know, have enough surplus for, for friends and family, that's building resiliency, it's building redundancy, that's truly decentralizing the food system. I think that's the key. Um, obviously this huge aging population of farmers, this huge land transfer that's gonna happen in the next um you know, 10, 15 years that, you know, our our, buddy Ryan Greggs often talked to him about that. And there's there's opportunity, people. I know land is, is getting expensive. We talked about with, with Mitch here uh, a couple um, weeks ago how you don't even really need to own a ton of land. You could just lease land or you could have a, a goat lawn mowing service, for example. I mean, get creative.
2: But have you seen? There's that guy who, um, he's homeless. He lives in his van. And I think he just keeps like a sheep that he just drinks the milk. of. Have you ever seen that guy? I got to find it. I'll send it to you. But you know, like that's the thing is um, every single farm that I've worked on in town um, uses uh, like public land for Mm -hmm. grazing, right? Like they lease it and, you know, they go from like, you know, if like the farms i've worked on like you know one like they only have 7 acres of their own farm another one has you know you know 30 acres the other one has like 40 acres of their own farm not a lot but That's then not they a lot. St- not a lot but they still uh end up managing like hundreds of acres right and so luckily like colorado is this mix of like you know um like peak like tardation, but also um like cowboy rancher and but then also like the health hippie thing right so it's this weird like synergy of things where like it can cause problems because like for instance they're really obsessive about like not harming the prairie dog population and they're like causing like desertification because they're just destroying all the pasture but like the hippies are like don't hurt the prairie dogs and it's like they're an invasive species um and they're destroying the land so uh okay what are we gonna do here um but uh yeah, it's, it it is hard, you know, and, and, you know, like I I brought up Thomas Massey before, like he's, he's trying to pass legislation so that raw milk sales can be done interstate between, I think it's like between States that it is already legal. Like, why does it, the state line kind of thing matter? Um, But yeah, they're like, I'm pretty sure, you know, obviously if Amos Miller can do their private membership thing, like across state lines, There has to be um, some kind of venue to approach that because like I know that the farm that I work on now, their business like exploded after COVID because more people were like, oh shit, this system is really vulnerable and it's, uh, you know, I do need resiliency. I need something that's more accountable and um, that I can rely on and that's like better. And what was, what's interesting too, though, is that pre COVID they used in a USDA processor. And then all of a sudden the processing was like, uh, we're closed. And so, you know, then the guy who I learned from, um, who was a chef who had a lot of butchering experience, but was like a chef for a catering company. Well, all of his events got canceled for a whole year. Cause there's like a thing that people aren't allowed to gather and then so somehow they found each other and he's like, okay, so now all the processing is done in-house. And then I've kind of taken a lot of that over from him. Um, but sometimes it takes uh, moments of, of like weakness to then create resiliency, right? Like, yeah, maybe it takes your health being in not a great place that you're like, I really need to address this and and help things versus just like kind of like teetering along at like kind of okay. So sometimes shit needs to hit the fan before you can really kind of go above and beyond and make things better than they ever were before.
0: That's it. I think that's the message for sure. Josh, thanks so much, man. Where where can people find you?
2: Uh, you yeah, you can follow me on uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Josh Rayner Gold. Um, and yeah, I, I I try to try to keep things uh, both informative and shit posty um so uh yeah we, we have fun
0: that's right I can attest to that so all right well thanks so much for coming on man great conversation and yeah thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of decentralized radio have a good one